Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here this week to not talk about our 3-0 loss to Manchester United, but to actually, for the first time in like two months, have something new and interesting to talk about. It's very exciting. And we have a full house. We don't just have a full house. We have an overflowing house tonight, because not only am I joined by uh, my co-host, Brian Ashlock, and straight from the, his uh, Saudi uh, suitcase, Ben Daniels. But our dearly departed co-host, Michael Cayley, is with us. Let's start with him. Michael, welcome back. Why have you decided to join us today? Which part of the 3-0 loss to Man United do you think you just needed to get your opinions out on? I, I, ju- I just had so many takes on our tactical choices in midfield. But, like, there was nothing else I wanted to do than join you guys and, and, and break down exactly what went wrong for Tottenham. I got some bad news for you, buddy, because that's probably not something we're going to talk about today. Next up, we have, coming to us straight from um, sunny Saudi Arabia, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing? It's It's great. Everything's wonderful here. Everyone's treating me really well. There are no human rights violations as far as I can see. Um, just a, a really luxurious place, and I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I'm, I'm sure that you are willing to talk about the big news with Tottenham Hotspur after you you know, finish talking about all the great work that Newcastle United is doing in the community. Yeah, they said I'm allowed to do that. Yep. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. And coming to us from the wilds of uh, Florida, I presume riding the back of an alligator, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, are, are, what part of the game captivated you the most that we're going to discuss today? Well, I thought it was at the end where the giant sandworm came up out of the pitch and addressed all the Manchester United fans. Um, I thought that was really compelling uh, by the people scripting this season. It's great stuff. It was framed really well. It was, I'm glad I'm glad we all went to see that in IMAX. So, yeah. Yes, obviously we are not here to talk about the Manchester United loss because that guy got fired. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo has been let go by Tottenham Hotspur as of Monday morning. Uh, it was... I was a little surprised by the speed of the sack, um, and as we record this, I don't want to put it past Tottenham to fuck this up. It looks like Antonio Conte, uh, big tone, is coming into the club to uh, sort things out. You know, much like a waste management company, he's going to get things back on track. Uh, before we're going to talk a lot about Conte, so before we get to that, I just want to sort of dispense with any of the Nuno talk. I I, I feel like it is almost cliche for Spurs fans. Talk about what a decent guy he is. I, I think most of that is in reaction to Jose Mourinho. Uh, but I want to start with Ben on this just because he was the most prominent voice we have on this podcast for Nuno out. In addition to his advocacy of the good work being done by Saudi Arabia, uh, he was very, very Nuno out. And I was a little shocked at the speed of it. Ben, I know that you have your, you know, as as a socialist, you're always working for a better world. But did you expect this to actually 
happen this quickly because even with this result, I was a little surprised by how quickly things turned on him. I mean, I think when your state runs, you know, an oil empire, I think better things are possible. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I'm I'm also very surprised by how rapidly we were willing to stack, you know, like reports as early as, you know, the, the immediate aftermath of the game was that we were not sacking Nuno. And then a few hours later, it was, well, we might be, um, you know, which I'm sure had a lot to do with the talks with Conte and an idea of where we might go next. But, you know, I mean, no credit to Levy and Paratici for hiring him in the first place. It was a terrible decision from the beginning. Everybody knew that that was not a good fit. Um, you know, the amount of mental gymnastics they had to go through to convince everybody involved that he was somehow going to play attacking football that suits what everybody wanted in the wake of Jose Mourinho was like such a transparent, you know, PR propaganda uh, campaign that, uh, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting good things from this. Uh, but credit to them for realizing that there was no hope here and pulling the trigger as quickly as they did and getting a new manager in and not saddling us with Ryan Mason and Harry Winks till Christmas. Brian, how, how relieved are you that we did this? Cause I feel like the last time we talked about this, you were going to a very dark place <laughs> in terms of like, generally you're, you're a bit more of an optimist than me or Ben on this podcast, but you were, you were getting real beat down by this team uh, last week. <laughs> Well, I think the reason I went to that dark place is you took me to that bar and you made me pretend that I didn't know you. Um, but the, the, the I'm sorry. Um, no, I uh, I don't even remember. It's what called kayfabe, was, Brian. It's the foundation of professional wrestling, and it was the foundation of our relationship, but not anymore. Um, I don't know. Um, I think your question was. Um, how, am I okay with this, or how do I feel no, about I, it? And like, I don't know. Yeah, how do you feel? Because you just like you got much more negative about this team than I'm used to you getting on this podcast, which I thought was telling in terms of how this is all gone. Um. Yeah, I mean, I feel great about it because I, I really did think it would have to get significantly worse. Um. You know, I I think we talked on the, uh, multiple times on the show, and I I know. You said it, Greg, and I think I echoed it, but like we just didn't see a way where before the January window we were rid of Nuno. I mean, 10 Premier League matches in charge, 17 matches overall. I think that makes him Spurs' shortest tenured permanent manager. Um, like, I just didn't think that Levy would pull the trigger that quickly, especially given how long it took him to pull the trigger on Jose and how long it took him to kind of end the Pochettino era and, and so on and so forth. So um, to just have it come after kind of a, this a drab match that was bad, but in ways that all of our matches have been bad recently it was a little weird. Um, but I, I'm I'm happy i guess it's over <laughs> maybe <laughs> i mean i think that the situation was like bleaker than that in a way because 
we were talking about like, this after the during the match after the match, like, okay, Spurs are maybe gonna get rid of Nuno, but like they'll just get some mediocre caretaker, and there's still no plan. Like, may, like the hope was that this team can like play eighth place football instead of thirteenth place football. Maybe we'll get up to sixth place. Like, there wasn't anything that looked like it was hopeful it was like maybe a year down the road we're into a rebuild but we've delayed this rebuild for so long it's got to move very quickly there's a lot of moving parts got to get everything right and so all of the hope for me was like projected into you know 2022 at the earliest and then suddenly like Antonio Conte wants to manage Tottenham and there's like you know this is a much higher level of potential near and medium term hope than I had like you know been willing to consider Michael I think you nailed it there like I think part of the reason I assumed we weren't going to fire Nuno until it, things really forced our hand which I don't think we've gotten there yet and I think there's a positive to that we didn't let it get there but part of the reason is like well what's the alternative you could bring in a guy like I mean we wouldn't because he's probably mad at us but like Fonseca like you're just going to bring in another, like, C-minus level manager who's, like, probably at best going to get you treading water. and Maybe you make a run in a cup, but, like, that's still probably unlikely. And if you're just going to tread water, you know, Nuno's as good as anyone probably that we were going to get. I, I am shocked that Conte is willing to come here. And I, I mean, Michael, you and I have joked about this on Twitter today. I, I, I struggle to understand why he wants this job when you consider that and it's probably not open as soon as we think it's going to be but like the united job might be open in the relatively near future the psg job might be open by the end of the year there's a lot of like i mean i think the real madrid job might be open next summer there's a lot of like big jobs that could be there for conte if he was willing to wait but either my, my our, the hypothesis i think we developed online today was either he hates his wife or his wife hates him and he's crawling up the walls at home like talking about ducks in his pool or something, and they just want him out of the house one way or another. Because I mean, obviously Paratici has something to do with this, and that is probably a big reason he's coming to Spurs, that relationship. But it's, with the United job just sitting there, it's vaguely insane to me that he is he is coming here. And it is deeply funny to me that El Sacico ended with like, Nuno <laughs> you know, loses, does get sacked, and that means we get Conte, and now... United's kind of in the situation that we were in where you just sort of hope Mauricio Pochettino's there in April because otherwise they're stuck. It's, it's a very weird situation. And it's just, it's, I think it's increasingly weird or more weird because this is kind of the position we were in, in mid June. Like, <laughs> Like we we did all these mental gymnast like whatever whatever was that happened in the summer with the Conte situation whether it was not being able to commit to keeping Kane long term not being able to commit to you know spending money or whatever now it just we look even more dysfunctional than we already looked during our giant manager search because we kind of not that Conte was square one necessarily but like we just wound up where we probably should have wound up our search over the summer and we just wasted, you know, three months or well, more like four and a half months of, of time where we could have been figuring out the squad, figuring out the tactics and, you know, playing decent football. 
But I think that's what's so weird is like it's hard for me to imagine what changed. Like I don't think after what we paid Mourinho, we were being. I would be surprised that his salary was the issue, and now we're willing to pay. I believe we're paying him more now because we're paying full freight. But you know, did just the last few months sucking convince us? Like, okay, we're going to spend at least fifty million every transfer window that you're here, Antonio. Like, I mean, Ben, do you have any sense? Do you, do you have, beyond he just can't stand not coaching a team, which I guess plays a role in it. But it's it, I just struggle to see why if this was possible we didn't make it happen in the summer unless he's just like really impressed we sat we we held strong on Kane which would be weird but I I'm just sort of struggling to divine a reason here I mean I think if I had to guess I I think Newcastle situation doesn't not play a part in this um you know we're already looking like long shots for top four, especially for a long-term top four proposition and Newcastle coming along um, probably put some fear of God into Daniel Levy. And I think if he wasn't willing to make some guarantees about investment, um, whether that's because he cares about the club or cares about preserving its value to sell, I don't care. Um, But I think, I think the, the, the facts on the ground changed in terms of what the Premier League is going to look like. And we need to get serious. And if Antonio Conte is going to demand some investment in the transfer window, we've already kept Kane. If so, if that was a part of the deal, well, that kind of happened by accident. But, you know, I think having gone through Jose and now Nuno, I, I do think Daniel Levy is looking at the landscape of football and seeing – I can't get this wrong a third time. And if Antonio Conte needs a hundred million pounds in January, well, we've got the money. We just didn't want to spend it. It's, it's time to do it. I mean, that is whether he was being cheap or I think more likely COVID started to decline. And now we're making money off the stadium again between the NFL boxing matches, concerts and match day. I don't know, maybe maybe revenues coming in just sort of woke us up and we were like, okay, we can go buy you a left back or whatever. Um, I, it's definitely and, true that like a lockdown doesn't look likely again. So like that big revenue stream that we've been counting on for years is finally looking like it's going to be reliable. And, and maybe I'm mem- remembering this wrong, but was it also one of the big hangups with Conte this summer that he wanted like this big coaching staff which and we haven't heard a thing the, about today. I mean, uh, forgive me if I'm missing something. We're recording this Monday night. I, we haven't seen a thing about that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I seem to recall that he wanted, like, Spurs wanted there to be, like, four people on the staff, and two of them were already in-house, or one of them was in-house. And and Conte was like, no, I'm going to use my guys that just won the title with Inter Milan. So, sorry. Um, so, I, I, I mean, in hindsight, if that was, you know, the one of the primary sticking points or even if it's even just on the list, like we look really stupid, like just, you know, if you hire a manager, give him whatever coaches he wants. Like yes. well, I, the cost on that is negligible. Like if you're talking about, um, you know, uh, being able to spend 70 million or 90 million to sign a striker or whatever. All right, that's fine. But you know, what's the cost of an assistant coach? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, not that much like two or three weeks salary at most for like yeah. one me- medium player. 
I, I, like it, it's hard to look at this and see like the execution of a plan. Like this is the thing that's been maddening, sort of like week to week and month to month. That okay, you you could try to rebuild this team and you could sell off some of the stars and you could bring on younger players, or you could commit to making this the best team it can be right now while we've got Kane and Son still playing, you know, reasonably well. And we just sort of just kept kicking the can down the road and kept like picking neither option. And I feel like this summer with Conte, it's hard not to look back on that and say, like, that still looks like picking neither option. And, you know, you sign some young guys who've got upside, but their upside isn't like whatever Breon's upside is, it's not right now. And so you're 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 building this team for a couple of years down the line that like, you know, I guess went when Tongi and Gio were at their best or something. And like that that fits with not wanting to give Conte everything that he wanted right away. And now it seems like the plan is to give Conte everything that he wants right away and to like <laughs> change your mind on that. And that is a better plan than like half-assing the rebuild and kicking the can down the road. But well, I think I, I, it's hard for me not to look at it as like a real decision to change by Levy. Well, I think I think that all of us on this show, and I think probably Spurs fans at large, just have, like they wanted the process, whatever the direction of the process that the fans specifically preferred. They just wanted it to make sense. So if if your plan is to rebuild, then do that, commit to that, and and Nuno didn't like you said didn't fit that it was it was and then you know if you wanted to win now then do that spend the money get the right guy do that and and we didn't do that either and and we spent all summer kind of nodding along with Paratici and okay we reduced the age profile of the squad and we did some smart things and you know some of these decisions like in a vacuum made sense but like the big overall decision of who helms this club and what does this club look like on the field didn't match up with that and ultimately didn't make sense. And we spent a lot of time, we devoted a lot of minutes and hours on podcasts talking about it. And I just don't know if now getting here to this point, like after the process was stupid, makes me feel better or like, like, you know, like, you know, the end justifies whatever means we got here or if I still would have rather we underwent some sort of process to figure out and kind of shape what our next steps were rather than just going, ah, who's the best guy we can find? Well, so um, I think, but I think that's what's interesting because we, the process has been awful, but I think, and Michael, I'd like you to talk about this because you talk about the sort of the Premier League more broadly or the soccer more broadly than we do every week. Like, we, ended up with like one of the best coaches in the world like and again I think one of the things interesting about Conte is not only is he an excellent coach but he's been an excellent coach on some teams where he doesn't have I mean I mean it's not exactly the same thing he doesn't have he's they're not overly stocked I mean Inter was great and they had lots of good players but they're not Juve they're not United they're not Chelsea and if you want to look a little further back, he was excellent. At, with, I mean, he probably his best coaching job was in Italy with a dire team that he made very, very good. So I, I, I think by hook or by crook, Spurs have ended up with an excellent coach. So what, what are we getting here? Yeah, and if you go back before before Juve, like he took he, he like 
made Atalanta better. He made Bari better. Like, everywhere that he's gone, he's made the team better quickly. And, um, like, and, and I think that he, because his... His his Italy team and his Chelsea team were quite defensive. I think that got him pegged as a defensive manager. But his Inter Milan team were like just buckets of fun every week. He he was like finding ways to play like multiple playmakers behind two strikers with wing with like real wingers playing wing back, and they were somewhat defensively weak they just outscored everyone and I think that he has a very clear history of like he's somebody who has that like magical ability to look at a bunch of players and say okay this guy's good at this thing and this guy's good at this thing and they all fit together into this and you know it's not he's not like you know or like like really exciting modern progressive manager that tactics people love he has like a few pre-planned attacks and like he's got a way that everyone is supposed to be in their defensive structure but it works because it is a structure that fits all the players and brings out the best in the players and he's done it so many different times around that i think we can ex it's reasonable at this point to just expect that like within a month he'll have something sorted that these tottenham players do that fits who they are and brings out the best in what they do it's not like a, it's not like he's got a vision or a theory. It's not, you know, it's not like you got Pepper, you got Klopp, and it doesn't really do positional play. You don't need to if you're just putting people into a system that works and you understand players' talents. I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about about Conte is because we have such a kind of makeshift squad. You know, having a guy who isn't such a, a dogmatic manager who doesn't come here with, okay, I need this guy for the, the J-Rod role. <laughs> like, I need Adama Traore <laughs> to run any attack at all. Right. You know, it's like, it's like the, it's like 2000s Carlo Ancelotti who could just show up at a club and say, all right, these are my guys. This is what we're going to do. And like, yes, a back three has been like a, a feature of a lot of his clubs. And we're probably going to see that again. Um, I'd be surprised if we didn't, but ultimately we have a lot of weird guys. You know, we have Delhi, who's a very specific sort of player. We have guys like Lo Celso and Ndombele, who nobody has really figured out how to maximize their strengths and, you know, minimize their weaknesses. We have, you know, Regulon, who we're not sure if he's good or not. Um, you know, and, and I really trust that Conte will look at this collection of players and be able to assemble them in something that makes sense. Um, it's probably going to marginalize some guys that we don't like or we don't want to see marginalized just by virtue of, you know, this puzzle is only going to fit together in his head a couple of ways. And some guys are probably not going to fit in with that, you know, and whatever alchemy he comes up with for making this team work. Um, and that's just a piece we're going to have to make. I hope it's not a guy like Ndombele. Uh, I hope it's a guy like Harry Winks, but you know, I, I feel very good that there is going to be a, a system that makes sense, that attacks and moves the ball in a way that works to the player's strengths. And like, it's insane to think that that's like something to be excited about. Like that seems like the kind of thing that like you should just expect from a manager of a football club, but we haven't seen that in so long um, that, 
yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Ben, I think and also we know that Conte's shtick works. Yes, like it's not like it's not like Jose where we're like, oh, he was a great manager, but recent results not so much, and Nuno where. We didn't really know that it worked. <laughs> um, and, and you know, so, like, we know that that at Inter Milan, like, he came in and they finished second that first season. They missed the title by, what, like, one point, two points, something like that. Um, they won it the next year. And, uh, you know, like, like like Greg said, Inter aren't Juve. I mean, they spent a bunch of money. They bought Lukaku. They bought Hakimi. Um, but... Inter are kind of Spursy in a way, like they always seem to find a way to mess it up. Um, so, I mean, getting them the the Serie A title was was a big deal. Um, and and with the collection of players that maybe like on the whole wasn't as good as Juve had or was at Napoli or or, or some of the other clubs in Italy. So, um, I don't know. I, I just I, I'm excited, like you guys said, not only to have a manager that is. Uh, you know, practical and that we can finally trust to diagnose problems. Like, you know, when, when Mourinho came in, Joe, uh, when Jose came in, Greg and I kind of like wish casted on like, Oh, well, you know, Jose is at least able to identify some of the stuff. And then he never identified the stuff and he also never fixed any of the stuff. Um, and so Conte, I'm fairly confident will, um, will fix some, a lot of the problems that we have. Like Ben said, we may not ultimately like the solutions, uh, but I think we're going to play effective football. Well, I think you guys have both drilled in on what I'm excited for, and I think this just shows how like how many brainworms I have from just like talking to Tottenham fans online, both in terms of in general and who the people I know. But it's it's I'm just excited that we're finally. I I think under Conte. We're finally going to get answers about a lot of these players we've had question marks about for like two and a half years now. We're like, is Lo Celso a Premier League midfielder? Is Ndombele a Premier League midfielder? Like, is Regulon good? Is is Skip a Premier League midfielder? Like, I just think we're going to get actual answers to these things, or we're going to find out whether or not they are. And maybe that's not like a fair way of putting it, but I don't think we're going to have to be dealing with like weird agendas or broken tactics or you know, bad solutions. Like we're going to see how these guys function with one of the best managers in the world. And I do think you're right, Ben, that we might not like all the solutions, but I think more often than not, we're going to get some answers about to some of these questions that have been bugging us for a couple of years. And it's not going to be the result by and large of like weird, like personal relationships or agendas. It's just going to be can Conte make Ndombele and Lo Celso work in the same midfield? Can't because I think if they can, he's going to figure that out. Like, I don't think this is going to be a question he's going to weirdly refuse to do for no good reason. And I'm just excited to see, like, a capable, competent, motivated manager in charge of this club. Because you could argue we haven't had someone who's all three of those things since, like, 2018, if you really want to get technical about it. And I'm just excited to see that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've all been... I don't think making excuses is the right word, but, you know, for a lot of our players, it's been really hard to evaluate their capabilities under a series of bad managers. And it's, you know, been the kind of talk of Spurs Twitter is, are the players bad or is the manager bad? And that's what makes the players bad. And 
whatever else, we'll have an answer. And if the squad is terrible, and if Ndombele really can't play midfield, like, that's, yeah, I'm going to have to stop apologizing. Um, but I think the reality is going to be probably more favorable than, than we like. You know, I think when you look at the collection of players that we have, there is no Agolo Conte. There is no, you know, three all-star center backs, you know, to encourage him to play a defense first style of football. That's just not the way our team is built. So I think it's going to end up being something that we like because that's just the collection of players he's faced with. And so creating a team that outscores the other team is, is likely going to be on the cards. I mean, my big fear is just that we become the club that ends Jose's trophy run (laughs) that shows that Conte is washed, that broke Pochettino, um, you know, and maybe that's not a realistic fear, but I think that's just like the gnawing doubt as a Spurs fan that's in you. Like, (laughs) what if we can't put this together? What if Conte is just comes in and looks at Eric Dyer and goes, "Ah, I don't know. (laughs) Like, Brian, sure. it literally can't get worse. I know that's like famous last words, but it can't get worse. So, Greg, I would say that you know, based on evidence, it's certainly. Have can. you watched this team this year, it, it, Michael? I'm curious because we don't talk to you about Spurs on this podcast every week. I, I think something that broadly we agree on on this podcast is like Spurs have a decent to good to pretty good, depending on how you look at it, roster of players. That just has been utilized by a bunch of charlatans and morons for a prolonged period of time. I am I am curious to see that theory tested, but what do you think Conte is walking into? I'm just curious as to your thought. Broadly, I feel like we talk about this, but you're not on the podcast every week, so I want to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, I think there are sort of two things. One is like exactly how wide are the error bars on how good some of these players are, um, which I think, you know, after a couple seasons of them not adding up to a good team, you have to at least have some questions about, uh, you know, as good as Los Celso and Ndombele individually have been in the aggregate in their time at Spurs, like it hasn't added up into a good team. And I think it's a question. I, I think one of the things that I look at this team and see is a lot of questions about how the pieces were ever meant to fit together. Like, like, Hoybier as a six, like, okay, but it's not exactly what he is. And then Dombele and Gio are both eights, but they're a little bit light as eights, and they both like to get forward. And then on top of that, you've got Delhi, who is also a, like, bizarre eight. So we've basically got four guys who are in some fashion an eight. And we spent a lot of money on them, and they are all around the age they should be stars. And then the other pieces are up top. You've got two guys who are older and not quite getting the shots this season, not getting the shots they did last season. And so it really is, I think, the team watching it not work this season under Nuno made it more clear that it is a difficult puzzle box to figure out how you actually get all these good players together. So it's not just a matter of how good are these players. It's also, I don't even know how possible it is to get every one of these players firing in a system that works for them because they are so different and distinct. And 
and then on top of that, we've got the like the wingers question that we bought all these mediocre wingers and we just sort of like it, it feels like we're like rolling the dice every week. Like maybe this is the week that this mediocre winger is going to be good. But that's and kind of I, I think that I think if there is a player who embodies the problems that Spurs have had for the last two years, I think it's Bergvine, who, you know, I don't think is any kind of world beater, but he is, I, I think, by any definition, not been on a team that's done him any favors. And, you know, again, I don't think Bergvine is, like, the key to Champions League football in Tottenham. But he is, like, that kind of player where, like, I don't know how good he is. Like, because he's probably not – he's probably a mediocre winger. Like, uh, you've probably summarized it right there. Also, he like, Mourinho is playing him as, like, a weird, like, right back who wasn't doing attacking work, which is strange. And then, you know, under Nuno, who was kind of using him, but that system didn't make a whole lot of sense. And Andy was getting hurt. So – we just have all these guys who it's like, I think you're right, where some more than others have potential, but it's just sort of, the systems have been so broken for so long, I don't know how to rationally evaluate them, and I don't know if the systems have just broken these players, and they're like beyond, okay, maybe if Conte had gotten his hands on, you know, I'm just going to pick Bergvine out of thin air, but Bergvine, when we bought him, like, it would have worked out a lot better, but at this point, it might just be, you know, too little too late. I think it's yeah, interesting I- you... I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting you picked out Bergvine as the exemplar and not Lucas Mora. Um, Mora's been here and had his. I mean, Mora yeah, is. Yeah, but what I he think is. like, I think I think like with him, you at least look and you go scored a hat trick in the Champions League semifinals, like played at PSG and did pretty well. Like you, you and, and you, we have relied on him so much in a way that we never really relied on Bergvine. We talked ourselves into Lucas Moura being Adama Traore light and being our lone ball progressor in this team, you know. And 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 also, you know, Lucas Moura is the reason that Nuno got fired, um, to be perfectly frank. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we I, I would have picked him out as, as kind of like the exemplar. But um, I guess my question with this is, you know, like Michael identified, we've got we've got kind of this wide range of outcomes and possibilities, and and we don't have kind of an understanding of how the parts fit together. I'm just interested to see how Conte actually does the roster construct or not roster construction, but the actual team construction of it, um, because everything we've tried, the different formations that we've tried in the last eighteen months two years have not worked. And so uh, we know that Conte has by and large a, a system, a formation that he likes to play. And it would appear to be one that doesn't necessarily fit most of our personnel. It would appear to be one that would require a Harry Kane that can at least run a little. Um, and, and, and so I'm interested to see how he is able to take kind of our sort of mishmash of parts and turn them into something coherent. I mean, all right, I, I guess you can play like, imagine your content, what do you do? But, you know, I think as Michael pointed out, we have a, a surplus of mediocre wingers. So let's take wingers off the table. Um, you know, we're pretty sure he's going to play with a back three, but we only have one really good center back. I think that means Romero obviously is 
the guy, and then how do you build around him? I think you look at who who are other members of the back line that are, are probably not going to get dropped, and that's Regulon and Royale. I think Regulon profiles really clearly as a wing back in a way that Royale doesn't. Um, but we've seen Royale play very strong defensive football. Um, and so sticking him at right center back is a probably good use of him. There's also and two years of him happen- playing excellent attacking football in Spain. I mean, so, which, you know, Conte might be more able to take advantage of than Nuno. So. Yeah, it's entirely possible that we decided that Royale or fucking Matt Doherty is our right wing. All right, calm the fuck down, man. But I think, you know, if you're looking at Davison Sanchez, Eric Dyer, Joe Roden, I I would be surprised if we get two of those three guys as our our regular starters. I think because we have so many wingers, one of them is probably going to end up a wingback. Conte has done that everywhere he's gone. He made... You know, Victor Moses, a phenomenal wingback for Chelsea. He made Perisic a wingback for Inter. Like, we're going to get one of Lucas Bergvine or Brian as a wingback. Like, it's Ben, just, how excited? How excited it's just are inevitable. you? Inevitable. How how excited are you? That your dream is finally becoming a reality. Okay. <laughs> uh, I. Sorry, Sorry, Ben was getting a refill from his wife. Ben was getting a refill from his wife there, dear listeners. But Ben, your your dream is becoming a reality. We're going to make random outfield players into into wingbacks. You've been wanting this since Nabil Bentaleb in 2014. Yeah, I mean, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, Eric Lamella is gone, so he is not going to be the guy. It's going to be Lucas, and it's going to piss me off. Because I don't want to fucking see Lucas anymore. But so when Lucas as a wingback scores a goal in the FA Cup final, you're and he's hoisting the trophy up. You're just gonna be sitting there with your arms crossed. Yeah, just like what I was in Lucas... Amsterdam. I was just furious the whole time. <laughs> what if Lucas is the new Marcella? Like, I I would be on board. Ben, Ben's taking a nice slug of alcohol just just so our listeners know how he reacted to that idea. Yeah, so I just want to express my just just distaste. My wife took, brought me a new drink and took my unfinished old drink away. Like I, it's like the worst thing a server can do at a restaurant is take your drink when there's clearly something left that you're still working on. Ben, and you married. She should know better. You married an Arsenal fan. She shouldn't know better about anything. <laughs> Come on. So, I mean, yes. So Lucas is playing right wing back, and that's just going to happen because Brian can't play on the right yet, and it could be Bergvine. But like you said, I think the reason you picked him out as like the kind of exemplar is like unlike everybody else, he has no like book of business somewhere else where we know he's good. He's just a guy who's just found the black hole of Tottenham Hotspur. Um. So all right, so. You know, I built two thirds. You forgot of my Tanganga, back. by the way, when you're talking about your back line. I think Tanganga is. <laughs> I know Tanganga is like a. Uh, he's a dangerous player to put out there, but uh, I do think with his athleticism, we're like if he if he's sort of the right side of a back three, I wouldn't be shocked because he can move. I, yeah. Whatever else he can do, he can move. He'll be our. He'll be our conference league right right center back, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, I mean, so I'm, I built most of. I built most of my back line. Michael, what do you do with midfield? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think that, like, in some ways, you sort of, if, 
the, the question really is to me, are you going to do three up top or two up top? Like, are you going to be playing Sun off of Kane, in which case you can, like, try to construct a three out of what we've got? Or are you going to be playing, you know, either a winger with Sun wide or, you know, Geo in that sort of weird quasi-winger role? And, and to me, like, I think it makes more sense, especially if we've got a winger on the right, if we've got Regulon as a pretty pure wingback, that you are looking at sort of like going more narrow in midfield. And at Inter, he really liked having two strikers running off of each other. I think felt like one thing is I think the time has come to say that Son is a striker now. Like he's reached the age where you can't be a goal scoring winger anymore. And him trying to be a goal scoring winger Either he has to do too much ball progression or defense, he doesn't get the goals, or he's not really a winger anymore. Like, I, he, I think I think the time has come for Sun to be a striker. And then that means that you're supporting them with one hopes, Hoybier and Ndombele and Lo Celso, and we will see that three work. Finally. And, uh, We've been waiting for this for a fucking year and a half. We're finally going to get it. And it may work with Lo Celso as a quasi-winger, in a sort of really unbalanced 3-4-3 where Sun is basically a striker from one wing and Los Celso is kind of a, a, a midfielder from the other. But in either case, I mean, that's that's the way you want to do it. And then, you know, Delhi just still doesn't get on the pitch in that in, in that situation. But This is what I'm, I'm a little excited about with, again, we're getting a manager who, like, clearly knows what he's doing as opposed to we hope he knows what he's doing. Like... Lo Celso has a lot of flexibility in midfield, uh, not just like in terms of where you can position him in your starting lineup, but in terms of what he does during games, or in theory at least. And like, we finally might have a manager who knows what to do with that. And I'm a little excited to see how that works out. Uh, obviously, now that I've said that, it won't work out, but it would be nice to see this. I, I really would like to see some version of that midfield. Do you think, how do you feel if, if, he decides Skip has to be the anchor there to make two of those other three cook. Are you mad about it, or do you trust that Conte's genius is 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 correct? Yeah, I'm I'm going in on like pure trust in Conte at this point. I don't know what he's going to do. I, I I kind of hope it's I I want it to be those three just because I desperately want to see that midfield work and like Conte believing that midfield work is going to make me feel good. But if Conte wants to do something completely bonkers, like we we come out there and like Emerson is playing at the six, it's like all right, <laughs> your, your track record is stupid. Like let's just do this. Emerson's a six now, okay? But I think that's what? Mike, Michael's honing in on something that I think is really interesting about Conte. Like for the first time since Pochettino was here, I mean, for some fans since, um, like, Mourinho is here. But if we're all being honest, since Pochettino is here and motivated, this is the first manager, if he wants to roll out a weird lineup, you assume there's some sort of, like, rational thought put into this, as opposed to just, like, I'm going to fucking try shit today, or I'm going to prove a point to our chairman, or whatever. Or, like, you know, like, okay, I'll just throw them out there and see what happens. Like, if Conte, yeah, like you said, if Conte puts like Regulon up at striker and like Skip is like an eight, and you know, in Dombele and as a center back, like okay, that's weird, but I'm good. He's been good enough where it's like let's see what happens. I mean, Ben will never do that, um, but <laughs> nobody gets the benefit of the doubt from Ben. But I guess one of the things I'm interested to see is if Conte will kind of allow Romero to do some of the stuff he did in a back three. 
at Atlanta, where he was stepping forward from defense to uh, come into midfield to break up attacks and that sort of stuff. Because like, if he if he gives him that sort of freedom, that kind of I think frees you up to do some weirder stuff with your midfield, and maybe not in terms of personnel, but certainly in terms of structure and positioning of of what you do with those guys. Um, and I, I'm glad that we have at least one midfielder that we know is good and competent playing in a back three. Um, I know we've seen, or I get, uh, I know we've seen Dyer and Davinson play in a back three and be fine. So I, I'm fairly confident we can construct some sort of reasonable back line out of these guys. I guess my concern is, is Harry Kane still the version of Harry Kane we've seen for the last couple of months? That is actually something I'm kind of excited about with Conte, because I think there's a twin benefit to Conte managing Kane, which is, on the one hand, I think if there's any manager in the world who can figure out what Kane's still good at and where he can be used, I think Conte's probably, if he's not the one, he's one of them. And we know from his previous time in the Premier League that Conte has a huge hard-on for Harry Kane. So, I mean, I think that Conte is both... I think he is capable of motivating Harry Kane in a way that Nuno wasn't. And I think if there is an effective way to use Harry Kane, I think Conte is going to find it. Um, both from his track record and the way he's talked about Harry Kane in the past. Like, I, I think this is a guy who understands what he can and cannot do. I mean, like we've been saying about everybody else, you know, we're going to find out. If Harry Kane is unfixable here, then that's probably a Harry Kane problem. You but know, we're going to know. Harry You're Kane. right. We're going to know. We're, we're going to – it's not going to be up in the air. Like, if Conte can't make Harry Kane work, then that's a problem with Harry Kane, not the manager. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty conv- – I'm pretty convinced. One, I, I'm pretty skeptical that Kane is, like – crocked again like there isn't like you know when he hurt his ankles like it was just like you know you you have the graph going along at this high level and then boom it goes down and the graph moving along at this lower level and i'm using you know hand gestures show a graph in an audio medium because i'm a professional podcaster and so like you knew it was very clear what had caused it it was clear in the numbers where it broke off and this season is different it's it's not there's not a point where it seems like he's gotten obviously much worse. There isn't like some clear cause for it. Last season he did a lot. I I think it's reasonable to think that like he had a long and weird summer and his fitness wasn't the best and his focus wasn't the best to get his fitness the best and like he should improve. I also think though that he's like a relatively limited player now as you know everyone is when they reach his age and certainly players have had a lot of ankle injuries. And like, I am very hopeful and confident that Conte is going to tell him, okay, you can do like pick two of the three things. Do you want to be a guy who like works really hard and presses? Okay. Then you only get to hang out around the 18 yard box and take shots. Do you want to be a guy who's like dropping in to be involved in play? All right. Well, then you're not pressing anymore and you've got to be making those runs to get to the six yard box and finish chances and like limit the things that he's allowed to do so he can still be at his best. I I think that like those relatively simple tactical instructions that like, 
previous managers just kind of haven't given him. I guess, I mean, Jose, just no one was really pressing, so that was okay, and he could just, you know, run the attack. But you've got to set him, like, limits that allow him to get the most out of what he's got. But I'm still pretty hopeful that, like, we've at least got another good year or two here with him. Well, it's just, again, it comes back. like he's falling off a cliff. I mean, Kane's a good enough player. He was good last year. He was great last year. And we have a manager who, you know, not only is a really savvy, smart manager, but has previously just waxed on and on about the talents of Harry Kane. So, like, even though Harry Kane is sort of a different player than he was in, like, I don't know, when Conte left for Premier League 2017, 2018, I mean, you know, Conte's not a moron. I mean, I I think we're going to – I'm very excited to see what Harry Kane does under him. And I, I, I do think Michael, like you said, that summer plays a role. I think he's been sulking. I think he's been pouting. I think Nuno plays a role in that. I think the attack Nuno constructed played a role in that. And I think between the fact that we are about to have a much more coherent team and we have a manager who's much savvier about how to use and motivate Harry Kane, I think I'm very excited to see what he does with Kane, um, even if he's maybe not the long-term future of this club anymore. I mean, I think, you know, the issue with Kane and so many players isn't just who they're playing with and what our overall tactical system is. Is like Michael said, is is what they're being asked to do on the pitch. And, like, so many guys have had such undefined roles because we don't have clear attacking plans, we don't have clear defensive structures, that, you know, they're just doing too many ad hoc things. And I think Conte is definitely capable of, you know, like you said with Son, you know, making him focus on running off of Kane and scoring goals and not trying to be a winger, you know, tracking all the way back to our box and, and carrying the ball all that way. Kane not pressing everywhere, not dropping deep too much and just focusing on certain things. I think my concern with Kane is not can Conte figure out a role that gets the best out of his limited body at his age is, is Conte enough to give him the give a fucks again that all of the baggage that happened this summer is going to be put aside and he's going to be interested in playing because I'd like to think that Conte is a big enough name, you know, and Harry Kane is definitely a guy who responds to a big name as we saw with his love affair with Jose, um, that I'm optimistic. But I also think if he's just checked out and just trying to preserve his body for a transfer next summer, I, I don't know what Conte can do about that. Like that's a real limiting factor on like the ceiling for this team is, is Harry Kane going to be asked to play? But again, like we've been talking about this whole podcast, like if that's the case, like we don't have to wonder, we're going to find out like Conte's good enough at all these other things that we've been talking about that like, we're going to learn, <laughs> we're going to learn one way or the other. And there's, some like you know, it's nice to be able to put some of these questions. It's it's going to be nice to be able to put some of these questions to bed. Yeah, yeah. it'll be great. We'll we'll maybe have some answers about whether the team we support is complete and utter garbage. Yeah, which I think tells you what those last two years have been like. Uh, I think one thing that's really concerning with Conte for me is you know you go back, not just in the Pochettino, but you go back to AVB or. Really, the AVB era. I mean, this was Tottenham hair club for men for a while. I mean, this was some very nice haircuts at this club. And now we're bringing Antonio Conte and his horrible wig in. I mean, how do you guys feel about this? This is, I mean, I don't know. It's it's truly, I mean, not good. My favorite thing is that 
every time Antonio Conte is on TV, like there is like a 20% chance that someone is to describe him as fashionable because he's Italian. Yes. Because he, he, wears, he wears a tailored suit. Every time. He wears a tailored suit. <laughs> like the man looks insane. <laughs> every picture of him. So the, the, like the news of Conte being a serious candidate for Spurs was basically started like late last night on Sunday. And went through the day. Every picture of him has been more insane than the last that people have, like, posted with their tweets. I don't know, like, does he, like, go into tanning beds and just get weirdly uneven tans? Does he just kind of look like that? You know, are are photographers fucking with him? I don't know. But the man looks like a lunatic. I mean, he looks like some guy at the BBC was trying to cast Doctor Who and got, like, really far down the casting process before somebody was like, no, we're not going to do that. Thank you very much. I mean, you, you made don't think the BBC should cast it. Italians? <laughs> we don't. We don't cast Italians. No, we don't cast wigs. That's what we don't do. <laughs> Which I'm sure someone can tell me is not true. But is it definitely a wig? Do we I know it is? I thought it was hair plugs. Yeah, I thought it was plugs too. Is it plugs? I don't know. It ain't real. That's for sure. <laughs> it was. I thought he went to like the same place that Wayne Rooney went to, or Wayne Rooney went to the same place that he did. Or, well, or they did a much the... better job for Wayne Rooney than they did for uh, Big Tone. I mean, yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll have to make our peace with that. What well, I mean, really the reality is, like, go ahead. Ben, you don't sorry. have a lot of good hair around the club, like. There's not a lot of, like, fashionistas on the team anymore. Well, especially you know, without Nuno's I, beard. I mean, whatever. <laughs> but, like, our, our most fashionable player, Delhi, probably, is probably going to remain exiled from this team. Everybody else is just not that interesting to look at. You know, we, we've lost Michelle Vorm. We've lost, you know, even, like, our ancillary guys, like Gazaniga, you know, who would just like be there looking cool? I don't know. We don't Hoyberg really has that. that. Hoyberg has that really like model esque. He's dating a fourteen year old kind of look. You know. <laughs> you, you, well, you've got Golini's hip hop video and, and uh, his vests. But Golini looks like an extra in Gamora. So I mean, I'm not sure how fashionable he is. I mean, he's got real sloppy steaks energy, and like. <laughs> You know, yeah, he's a real piece of shit, but that's not the kind of fashion we're talking about, you know, what we aspire to as a club. I mean, we he still have going for something and executing it, and I respect that. <laughs> he's executing something, yeah. all right. Say what you will, at least it's an ethos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, who's our most fashionable player? God, that really is a depressing conversation it's now. Sun. I mean, it's, it's definitely Sun. Sun. Yeah. Sun's definitely I mean, the most definitely. positive fashion player, like... Like, Dilly still exists. Son's got the thing where, like, he looks like a model, so he can just wear regular clothes. Like, man, look at those clothes. He's so fashionable. Yeah, like, he, he puts on a tie, and you're just, he puts on a tie, and you're just like, oh, wow, look at him. Like, yeah, as opposed to Delhi, who's like, a, you're like wow. I mean, Delhi's like a year away really from. stupid clothes and still look really fashionable. Like, that's the thing that Golini wears stupid clothes, but looks stupid. Son wears stupid clothes, and you're like, my God. <laughs> Did he just I come off a runway in Milan? <laughs> but Delhi's like a year away from getting like, like Stewie from Family Guy tattooed on his face, and you know that's not going to be a good look for anyone. So, 
it's we, we yeah. we're not a fashionable club anymore. We come a long way from Scott Parker and AVB. The height, yeah, the height of Deli, white man fashion. Yeah, Delhi's veering into like Jared Leto Joker territory, like very rapidly. <laughs> He's gonna start picking out his cleats based on how you know. It's like, oh well, this has like the flying nun wings on the side, and I thought they looked really fashionable, as opposed to like they helped me play football. But I don't know. I I really hope Del- we have a Delisans, but I'm not holding out much hope for that. Yeah. Poor Deli. Like, he was a guy who, you know, we all believe would come good under Jose because he seemed like such a Jose player. And he's so, so specific as, as a player. You know, even under Pochettino, we saw his contribution diminish as Sun became like a real contributing goal scorer. You don't need three primary goal-scoring players on the pitch at the same time. And once Sun became, you know, undroppable from that role, it, it became increasingly hard to fit him in. And, like, you know, he made it work as, like, a hard-working, pressing midfielder. But, you know, once we lost the glue of Christian Eriksen to, like, tie all three of them together into a functional attack, it's just been three guys trying to get on the ball that no one can pass to. Well, so yeah, since we thing, go ahead, Michael. The crazy thing with with with, with Delhi is there was that short period. Remember, remember, like the short period when Mourinho was like kind of working, and it was kind of working because we were like weirdly very attacking, and Delhi scored a bunch of goals in that period before he started feuding with Mourinho, and it kind of feels like that's the moment that it fell apart. Like he actually was still looking like Delhi at that point and getting good shots. And that feud from there, it's just like, he's and like out of that feud, he never like would, he didn't come back and like have like a couple games like, okay, he's still Delhi. Like, and then this season he got that role for Nuno, which seemed like the idea was he was really supposed to get in the box and score goals. And he just was never getting there. And it was really depressing to watch. I don't know what's wrong. So if we don't see a, a Dele Sans or whatever Greg said, um, are there any are there any players that we're going to see have a resurgence or or come like to I think, prominence under I think, Conte? I think Hoiberg is going to play as well as people pretend he played under previous managers. I think his performances have not always been up to snuff at Spurs, and we just kind of overlook it. Uh, I think he is actually going to play really well under um, under Conte. I mean, and the guys you hope for are, are like Hoybjerg and Don Blay and Celso, the guys we've kind of been hoping for for a while, um, and then just getting Sun and Kane back to a level that they were at very recently. The only other guy I can see actually turning a corner is probably Regulon. You know, I mean, he's I think he is like the peak we don't know anything about him kind of player at Spurs right now and we think he's probably good but like we've only seen that in flashes and if he's going to be good it's going to be right now under Conte probably as a wing back and uh yeah and if not maybe Real Madrid will just buy him back and save us a headache well yeah I mean if you make him uh if you make him a wing back and eliminate his defensive responsibilities you eliminate some of the headaches that he 
gives you. And so, I mean, his crossing is pretty good. His, you know, once he's in the final third, he's not awful. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably right, that he's probably the one that's most I mean, well-positioned to break out. Not to talk about Manchester United, because we said we weren't going to do that, but, like, one of the features of things that were going well for Nuno was Regulon's use as a high outlet on the left wing, and benching him for Ben Davis was, like, such a catastrophic own goal, um, you know, systematically, that I, I just, it, it was insane. But we were recently seeing a good version of Regulon, and, and that makes me hopeful that we're going to get that. Well, again, everything we've if seen... Not, on, maybe maybe Sessegnon shows up, and maybe Sessegnon's the guy. Everything we've seen Remember under Regulon and Sessegnon and... Um, you know, even if you want to go this year, guys like Heal, it's like, I mean, these are guys who are basically playing with, like, managers who are either bad or uninterested at every point in their Spurs careers. So I'm curious, again, I'm, I'm curious how everyone plays under a good manager. It's been so long since we had someone that we were confident and knew what the hell they were doing. I think it's going to be a revelation for almost everyone. Yeah, it just feels like there are in, like if you've got Kane and Son up top, you just need like some support shots. Not like a you don't need a big star forward along with them. You need like Ndombele and Lo Celso and one like one or two wing winger wingbacks. Like that's enough shots to make a good attack while still having a pretty solid defensive structure. It makes sense. And I keep believing it's going to make sense. And like, if it doesn't make sense under Conte, like we have to really reconsider the things that we think make sense about the players that Levy bought. But at this point, I still believe in it. I mean, not to be like Debbie Downer about, you know, about, yeah, I know that's it's Ben's (laughs) job. Um, But like, you know, it hasn't been anywhere near enough shots this season. I understand that like, obviously, the attacking plan is non-existent and, and you know, our ball progression doesn't, doesn't work or, or isn't structured in any way, shape or form. But I mean, Kane isn't getting shots. Son certainly recently hasn't been getting shots in the sort of numbers that you would want from him. Um, so I, I guess that's my concern is, is, is Conte able in a short period of time to, take what these players have done in the last two years and basically go, eh, no, none of that. Here's what you actually need to do and and impart this, whatever, you know, structure or his plan, even if his plan is relatively simple and minimalistic, can he get them to do that and do it effectively in such a way that we produce enough shots and enough quality shots to kind of make up for where we've been. Cause like our, our advanced stats numbers are, and Michael can probably talk about this better than I can, but they're fucking awful. Um, you know, they're down there with Norwich in terms of, you know, where we are in expected goals, expected goal difference, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so we need to have a huge turnaround and, you know, it's it's great to kind of wish cast on, okay, Levy is promising Conte a budget in January and we're going to spend $100 million and da-da-da-da-da. But I, I'm not very confident that that's going to happen or that, or that that amount of money is going to turn into, you know, 
a, a three to four shot a game player. So he has to put something into place with what he has now. And I, I guess I'm just concerned about his ability to do that, given what we've seen. That's where we go back to that Italy team where it's like, if he got them firing, like I have a lot of like faith that he's going to be able to cobble something together, at least better than what we've seen out of this group of players. But as Michael said earlier in this episode, like, you know, they have not produced for long enough that as much as I think we can fault our management, you have to start asking questions, you know, about guys like Indomble, about guys like LaCelso, about guys like Regulon. Like, they have been problems for long enough that, you know, you've got to wonder. But here's hoping that. You know, if Conde can get the, the turds on that Italy team firing, then, you know, these guys should be able to put something together. Yeah, and I think, you know, in terms of shots, it's like we know Kane and Son are guys who can get a lot of high-volume shots and good quality chances, and even if they're not getting good quality chances, can score poor quality chances. So I think as long as we're getting them in a position to get shots, like if that is the only immediate change, that's a huge change from where we've been. And it's not enough to make us like a title contender. It maybe isn't enough to make us a top four contender, but it's definitely enough to make us a good enough team to start beating teams. Um, And, you know, around that, we know guys like Los Celso have scored at a reasonable clip other places. You know, we know Lucas can score some goals. We know guys can pitch in. Um, It's just, I'm less worried about creating a system where we have enough guys taking shots as getting our two guys who should be taking shots, taking shots and working on everything else from that. You know, like even Jose Mourinho, as bad as it was, he had Kane and Son shooting a lot and shooting well and scoring goals. And that was enough to get us, you know, seventh. Um, I think we're capable of doing more than that, but, like, that's step one. And I think Conte can get us there pretty quickly. If Jose could, surely Conte can. Yeah, and, and like, the, the state of the Premier League is is wild right now because, like, I mean, part of the story of the United game is that United were not great. Like we didn't attack well at all and they paid off off of a couple of mistakes and a great finish but they weren't great and they've been like actually bad this season that this is that only has them playing significantly worse football than they played the previous the previous season because he sort of like rejiggered everything around Ronaldo and and I think he can probably get them playing somewhat better than this, but things are not great. And like it leaves this big opening in the table if this team gets good quickly. Like it's a lot to ask. There's a number. There's a there's there's a you know there's a, there's there's points to make up, and but there's more of an opening that I would have thought there was based on United's business last summer and based on the quality of managers and talent and obviously the top three. Well, and especially when you consider that it looks like Ole's not going anywhere for a while, because my guess is if his position was more insecure, we wouldn't be signing Conte. (laughs) 
I mean, the gap isn't that huge in terms of where we're at in the table. I mean, top four is, I mean, look, we're not going to catch Liverpool city or Chelsea. Um, like it, it would take a massive injury collapse or, or Matt, just like some, something very weird for us to catch either of those teams. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a, any level of confidence in West Ham being able to play fourth place football for the entirety of the season, um, maintain European football with, you know, the, the depth that they have. And, you know, we, we talked about the weaknesses with United. I don't think Arsenal's there. Leicester's having issues like, uh, you know, we're only five points off of fourth, um, it's not, you know, losing to United and Arsenal makes it harder for us, but it's not certainly not impossible. Um, you know, we're a good run away from, you know, getting back into the into challenging for Champions League again. Um, but I think if we can finish top six with Conte, I think that's probably a pretty good result, given how we started or, or, or some of the results we've had this season. I mean, I'm I'm kind of prepared to lay down a marker that we can get top four. I think we are five points and five teams back of fourth right now. Um, you know, City in third and West Ham in fourth are both on 20 points. We're in ninth on 15. Um, you know, we're a couple wins. You know, you put together like a four or five game winning streak and like suddenly everything is possible again. And I don't think that's wildly impossible. And like you mentioned, we've already played a lot of the teams ahead of us. We've played Chelsea, City, you know, West Ham, United, Arsenal, Wolves. Like, we've played a lot of these teams. So, like, our upcoming schedule is very, very favorable to us. Um, and I don't think there's if, – if Conte can kind of turn things around quickly, which, you know – he, I don't think he's ever not had a preseason before, but his teams tend to hit the ground running pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of the season left. We have 28 games left. Like that's a huge number of games to make up five points. And like you said, none of those other teams are that convincing that we, we can't surpass them. Like even Chelsea and first are like only pretty good this season. You know, they have won a lot of games that, expected goals were not loving them in um, Liverpool's really the only team that is kind of like in a league of their own and Man City is slowly getting there um, you know I think there's a lot of season left to play like Leicester is a team you're you know talking about afraid of like they're behind us in the table um, it, it's very open right now and I think that's the thing that I'm like most grateful to Levy for is making this decision now while this season is still salvageable. So we don't have to look at this as a third season in a row that we call a rebuilding year and think, well, we'll maybe be good in 22, 23 when we have a good manager, we have a good manager. Now we're only a quarter of the way through the season. Like we could do it unless everybody's bad and content can't make it work. Like, Will we still lose to Norwich and give them their first win, though. Ooh, I don't know. I'm much so less bad. confident in that They're than so I was bad. last week. <laughs> like, Leeds didn't even manage to lose to Norwich this weekend, and Leeds have been terrible this season. Like they didn't, they didn't beat Burnley. <laughs> like, no, we're not losing to Norwich. We might draw them, but can you, Greg? Can you just clip that? You know, we're not losing to Norwich statement, and just save it for like that first week of December. Ugh, I don't know. I think I'm, Norwich are like 
they're having a derby season. Like this is in contention for the worst season in Premier League history. Proving that proving that. that Oliver Skip is the most valuable player in the Premier League. Like I think that's what we, we we take away from this, and that's before Conte turns him into the next Ballon d'Or winner. So Conte might send him back there in January to play <laughs> Harry Winks more. On that note, I think it's time to end it. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining us this week. It's been nice having you back. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I mean. I, I got the Double Pivot podcast. You can like, subscribe, and pay me money. That'd be fun. It's patreon.com slash Double Pivot. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to be uh, podcasting with you guys somewhat more as my uh, evenings opened up with Goodman moving to Europe. So I got more <laughs> podcast evening time. Well, now that we know that, uh, yeah, you could direct some of that sweet, sweet Patreon time our way. So, Ben, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me much more excited to talk about Tottenham Hotspur at <laughs> Wheeler Dealer Radio. Um, that's for sure. And you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. Brian, where can people find you with a Y on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. And as you already said, that is Brian with a Y. You can find me at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And also, because I forgot to say at the top of the podcast, because we had a lot to talk about, uh, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We've been good boys. We deserve it. Uh, For Ben, for Brian, for Michael, and, of course, for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.